Today is the sixth sign that we're studying. The sixth sign that Jesus did. John lists seven miracles. And these seven miracles were all intentional. He gave a singular reason. He said every single miracle, if you read through John and you read it with your eyes open, his argumentation is every single miracle that he puts in the gospel has this clause included. So that you will believe. Every miracle so that you will believe. So as I tell the story from John, his sixth sign that he gives, notice the irony. As we go through this, it's actually the longest passage of Scripture I've ever preached on. It's 41 verses. Where do you get through it? Don't worry. It's fine. It's a story. But notice who was able to see and who was blind. And embedded in it is a question, who are you? Who are you in relation to this? So, here is my question. That was weird. Worship leaders are just like, out. Here's the question that I have for us, for you on Slack. How would you convince your neighbors that God has done a miracle? How would you convince them that it was God who has done a miracle? And that's such a challenging question because, because we live in a world that connects absolutely everything and, and you're able to see cause and effect in so many ways. What the heck? They're like in symmetry. <laughs> You're able to see cause and effect in so many ways. You're able to see the, the. Uh, you're able to see that that there is a. This is the reason for that. So how would you convince your neighbors that God has done a miracle? Let's listen to, the story. John nine, one. As he passed by, he saw a, ma- a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Remember our sermon series before? We talked about how evil actually just exists. It affects us. So Jesus is saying, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Or, as we put it in our Bible Bible. Uh, passages that God's order would be put into this situation, that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Gross. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Great, there's your setup, right? Guy's blind, Jesus spits in mud, 
guy can see. Or he goes and washes, and now he can see. Now my question about the neighbors. The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others says, no, but, it, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to them, well, then how are your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud. He anointed my eyes and he said to me, go into Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received my sight. The neighbors said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So how would you convince your neighbors that God has done a miracle? We see how neighbors are, are doing that in, uh, in, in John's gospel. The neighbors are skeptical, right? I, I imagine that neighbors might be skeptical. So someone says, uh, someone says how do you refute, wow, what a coincidence, Right? a great question. How do you refute? What a coincidence. Someone says with the, with the truth. And if their hearts are open, they will see. Interesting use of the word see there, right? I would have to disconnect their internet first. Then I could take a moment to talk. Right? So pure straight up sabotage. If we're going to actually share the testimony of what God is doing, I encourage you to sabotage your neighbor's house internet feed. You got that from church. Thank you. Good. Uh, hopefully I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to convince them because it would be a demonstration of supernatural power that you wouldn't attribute to anything else but God. And you know what? I wish that was true, but here's our chapter. John chapter 9. Pure demonstration of God's power, and the neighbors go, I don't even think you're the same guy. Dude! People do not just blatantly accept that God intervened. We don't. Because it doesn't work inside of our conception, our worldview of the way things are or the way things should be. So as soon as you see a miracle, it's something that confronts our normal worldview and we struggle with it, so we want to find every other answer. For the blind guy, it was quite seriously, the neighbors didn't see that it was possible that God would do something so miraculous. We'd love it if people would just believe but we see the response right away, and the response is, the response is you're not even the same guy. You're like a, you're like a, a doppelganger. Ganger. Where'd the blind guy go? Like, they're going that far as to say it would be easier for you to be somebody else than for God to have actually intervened. How do you convince your neighbor? It's so hard. The man is blind, and so Jesus heals him. And get this, get this, the religious somebodies, they start to show off their blindness. The rest of the passage is about how religious somebodies are showing off their own blindness. 
Someone, someone says, I think that I can only tell them my story, present the facts, how it changed my life, then leave the rest to God, massaging it into their heart and mind. Leave the rest to God to open up their eyes. It took three rounds of investigation, to, and, and they were following, these religious people are following the right stages. So let's, let's go on with the story here. John 9, 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, because the, the Pharisees should know the truth. Now, it was Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received sight? These are the religious people. These are the church folk. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. And so some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how could a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, the man's a prophet. So the institutional blindness engages. A verdict was already made. The role of the blind religious is to enforce the company line. Here was the company line. This type of thing doesn't happen like this. That's the company line. So, when have you been told, slack question, let's reflect for a second. When have you been told, that's not how we do things around here? Have you ever been told, that's not how we do things around here? When have you been told that? I'd love to hear just a, a quick story about that. Um, someone testified that their miracle is that their parents haven't killed him yet. So, how, when have you been told it's not how we do things around here? See, the, the religious people showed their bias. They had the answers. The, the common people went to the Pharisees to sort this thing out about the blind man who had been set free, the blind man who could see now, and the religious people had their paradigms. This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. There it is. There is a paradigm that's being broken and, and a reason that we will not believe. The preservation of, this is the way that I do my life. If I were to believe that Jesus could heal like this, then it's going to actually have to affect the way that I view the Sabbath. That's the way the Pharisees are doing this evaluation. And in your life today, if you were to actually believe that God is able to do this, or you are to actually believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, it will affect your life today. The religious leaders said, no, 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 I'm going to maintain the status quo of what I believe so that my life is not affected. When we're faced with the presence and the power of God, we're faced with that moment that we have to decide, am I willing to let the implications of God's divine action change my course of life? Or am I going to choose blindness? If you've been hearing Pastor Danielle's sermons, John's doing this on purpose. He's showing us, he's showing us the, that 
even as the Pharisees appeal to the larger authority of Moses, John is highlighting that one is great, one greater than Moses here, and it's going to affect the way you live. Someone says, I feel like I'm always doing it the wrong way, right? Um, somebody's, lots of people correcting that person, saying, oh, yeah, that's not the way we do it around here. But yet, God is the one who is guiding us. I was subtly reminded in a staff room one day that the two things you don't discuss at work are religion and politics. And it's like, oh, yeah, we don't do that around here. Why? Because we're trying to preserve the way things are. When we talk about a God who is powerful, who actually claims authority, it's a threat to the status quo. The Pharisees are rebutting the threat. Each person who's part of a large organization has had the, has the feeling or the need to protect the group identity. It's a sociological reality. This is, we, we do it here at Promise Church as well. Right? It's, this is how we do things at Promise Church. We have Slack, of course. This is how we do it. We have, we have tables and not pews. This is how we do it. We've got these, these markers of this is, but this isn't, these things aren't the core of promised church. If God were to come, we must say, okay, God, change our paradigm completely. We'll follow your way. We'll get rid of tables. We'll get rid of pews. We'll get rid of cell phones. We'll get rid of internet in our neighbor's houses. Wait, no, sorry, distracted. But we'll, we'll keep on doing it the way either the way that we've always done it and be like the Pharisees, or we will change according to the way that God calls us. Because Jesus doesn't fit our framework. In the story, Jesus didn't fit the framework because he healed on the Sabbath. He did work on the Sabbath. So there is a massive warning for us as a church community. If you're a regular part of this community or you're new to this community, here is the significant warning. God help us if the way we do things ever becomes more important than what God is doing right now. And I hope that there would be spiritual leaders in this space that would, that would be able to call out if we're just running right past the things that God is doing in order to keep things normal. We need to be attentive always in our personal lives and in our corporate lives to what God is doing so even my family saw a change in my life and became Christians. That's the type of thing that happens when, when we say, yes, I'm going to follow God. So there was a second stage of the investigation um, that, that we look at, John 9, 18 now. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man. Second stage, yeah, yeah, we don't really believe what you said. We're going to call your mom. That's great. Now we're calling your mom. Awesome. So the Jews did not believe that he'd been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received the sight. And they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? The parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees? Well, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. 
For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So his parents said, ask him. I don't want my life disrupted by what God has done. I want to keep the status quo. So I'm going to choose normalcy over saying God is truly at work. This is, this is the danger we face as church people. Will we choose normalcy over the fact that God is actually at work? They did this because they were looking for people to get into the corner. The, the religious people were like, okay, okay, so, so here's what happens. Something happens in the, in, in the world, and let's, let's put it in our context. Something happens in Promise Church, and someone in the church doesn't really like it. So what do you do? Because we're in a community, you start talking to other people. I didn't really like that, dude. You not like that? No, I didn't like that either. Cool, let's find other people that also didn't like that. Right? And you create a movement, and you create, you create a, a bunch of people that are going to agree with you, and then, and then it reinforces the status quo. It's a danger that we have as, as people who fall under a religious category. So, this is, this is what happens. It's a symptom of a blind person trying to conserve, conserve their own way of doing things, even in the face of God's action. So in the, in the story, the parents, the parents exposed their desperation of the blind religious people and said, okay, so, so I, don't want, I don't want to be thrown out by them. My inclusion in this religious group is more important than acknowledging what God has actually done. Huge compromise there. Huge compromise. Someone said, well, if that happens, you just start a new denomination. Thank you. Thank you for that. And that has actually been the way that church history has happened. We start new denominations. Oh, well, God's doing something. People don't want to go that way. And so you start a new, new denomination. But, but God, is, God is at work. So the investigation continues on. They started with him. Then they wrote off his testimony because his testimony didn't agree with theirs. They brought in the parents, and the parents were like, well, we're going to defer to the son. Great. Your testimony didn't help. Let's take it to the third level. So verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man back in who had been blind and said, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Oh. He answered, whether he's a sinner, whether they're talking about Jesus now, this man Jesus is a sinner. And he answered, whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I already told you. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? That's how you poke the bear, right? You also want to become his disciple? Like, serious. And they reviled him, saying, you are already his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. And the, the man answered, why? This is absolutely amazing. 
You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does God's will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anybody who opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So now the testimony really takes the gloves off. The power of testimony in the face of the religious structure. Now we're starting to see the power of the testimony. Somebody's finally got the guts to say, I am going to stand behind what God has done, and I'm totally going to disrupt the system. How will we stand behind what God has done and disrupt the system? See, the verdict was already in before the discussion began. We want to maintain our status quo. We want to maintain the stability of the institution. We want to maintain the, the right way and our control. And we could go really cynical, our power. The demands are on the table, but the humble response of the man who was healed in verse 25 was, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Somebody earlier said, said, that, uh, said that all you have to do is, it was earlier in Slack, I just need to, to just scroll up and find it. Um, all you have to do is, is, it's not up to us to convince, but only us to take, uh, to bear witness. And, and that's such an important point. One thing I know is that I was blind, and now I see. The experience of the presence in the person of God is absolutely undeniable. And I hope, I hope that you have experienced the presence of God. I hope that you have experienced the presence of God. I hope that it challenged your normal. I hope that when it challenged your normal, you didn't just reinforce your previous worldview, but you allow God to re-inform, to re-educate the way you think about the world. Because God is more powerful than us. As a youth, I experienced the person in the presence of God. God changed my life from and my perspective. He opened my eyes that I could see God all throughout Scripture. I started carrying around my Bible absolutely everywhere. I started asking questions about history and church history. I started telling people about Jesus just by walking up to them. And after I started doing that, you know where I got the most persecution from? It wasn't from the non-Christians. I actually got universal respect from the non-Christians when I would speak boldly about God in a non-Christian setting. 100% of the persecution and the angry things that were said to me in my experience of this came from church. 100% of the pushback came from brothers and sisters in Christ who were trying to perspect protect the normal way of doing things. They would say, that's not the way you did it. You're supposed to evangelize. You're doing it wrong. Someone already wrote, I feel like I'm always doing it wrong. It's the voice of an institution trying to maintain its normal. And God says, no, no, no. Follow me. Trust what I'm doing. It's going to shake up your world. Someone would say to me, you're doing it. You, you, make, you make me look bad by being so bold. Mm-hmm. 
So here's a question. What should I do if I see Christians acting wrongly towards something that God is doing? There's a slack question for you. Here I am as a Christian, and somebody is starting to act, and I've judged that they've done something wrong. What am I supposed to do? Someone said, how do you evangelize wrong? You say Satan is the way. <laughs> but I hadn't done that. Um, sorry. <laughs> it would be wrong. But sometimes what we do is we say, oh, your methodology was wrong. You were trying to get the right message across, but your methodology was wrong. Oh, oh, you used a track from 1980 instead of, a, instead of this cool new way from the year 2020. You know, so, so Christians get really nitpicky, and sometimes we see it online. Somebody posted a, uh, a Babylon Bee thing on, on Slack, and, they, and it was like, um, my testimony is the reason I came to Christ is because Christians were bickering on the Internet and said nobody ever or something like that. That was a pretty, pretty good one. But this is, this is, this is how people are answering, answering this question. Someone said, when I get too much pushback from Christians, I realize I need more non-Christian friends. I love that. Stay connected inside of your community, but recognize that, that you need to be engaged with the people that God is actually calling to. Someone actually says, um, says, I know that this isn't the point of the message, but FYI, the church constitution actually does have a discipline process in it. It's true. We do actually have a discipline process, and that's for, for moral, uh, moral stuff. So what should I do if I see Christians acting wrongly towards some, something that God is doing? Inquire. Ask questions. But don't have a verdict first. Here's the verdict that was pronounced. John 9, 34 to 38. They answered him, the person who was born blind, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And then they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe? There it is, so that you believe. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And after this whole ordeal of being cast out of his religious community because Jesus healed him, this man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. The religious community did the equivalent of blacklisting someone from everything. In this world, the persecution will not generally come from the non-Christians. They literally don't know the truth of God. And so then when they're presented with it, they want to know more. But it comes from the Christians, the hypercritical. So my caution for Promise Church, God help us if we start to criticize each other in our missionary reaching out. God's grace is enough to cover over our little mistakes and the church needs to have flexibility to continue to recognize the work of God, even if it's not the way you expected it to be. Here's the resolution that Jesus comes to. Verse 39. This is huge. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see might, might become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, 
if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you see, you say, oh, we see, your guilt remains. Jesus calls it out right here. And he says, he says, there are those inside the religious community. They claim to see, but they're blind. And I don't say this to be divisive. I actually mean this to speak about humility. That we look to Jesus before we look to our systems. That we allow God to challenge us and open up our eyes and change our lifestyle. For the man who was born blind, his lifestyle is completely altered. Faced with the person of God, faced with the power of Jesus, his lifestyle is forever changed. He doesn't have to sit and beg anymore. And his begging career is over because they're like, well, you can see now. Why are you begging? Go get a job. His lifestyle is changed by Jesus. And the religious people said, our lifestyle will not be changed by Jesus. And Jesus called those people blind and said they're self-condemned. So the challenge for us, when Jesus makes you see, let your world change around you. This is the hard thing of giving your life to Jesus afresh and anew, even as an adult, for the first time. The implications are huge. You give, you give the way, sorry, your life changes because you see Jesus. This is, this is the call. Do not allow your life to stay the same. So let it be known that God is faithful, that God is just, that God is love, and in that, God will act as God. And our job is to look to him to accept his actions and reorient our life around him and the revelation that he brings to sight. Jesus, I pray for this congregation. Jesus, that we would be a people that would see your action and change our life around your action. Instead of demanding, oh God, instead of demanding that you change around our actions. Jesus, that we would be the pliable ones, that we would be the moldable ones, and that we would not create a God into our image that fits our worldview or standard way of operating. That we would be the ones that would be changed. And Jesus, I pray for that level of humility throughout our entire organization, but I pray for it in our lives. God, change our hearts. Draw us deeper into a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Next week we are talking about the most radical sign that Jesus did in the resurrection of Lazarus. Just absolutely sensational, headline-grabbing stuff. So uh, see you next week. God bless you.